0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pekulski. Today, we're doing a solo cast. We're going to dive into muscle building from a movement perspective, from a training perspective. We're not going to dive into nutrition today. We're not going to dive into supplementation today. But something that I've been obviously studying for quite a long time, um, probably in the order of 25 years, have I been trying to understand the uh, prerequisites to adding maximum muscle. So, for many of you who know me, I was a professional bodybuilder. For those of you who don't know me, um, I started off with a kid who had no muscle. As a kid who had no muscle, zero. I literally remember celebrating curling the 12-pound dumbbells, and I think I was 15 years old. So I wasn't a small human, and I was celebrating curling the 12-pound dumbbells. I was not genetically blessed for muscle. But what I was genetically blessed with was a chip on my shoulder. I was incredibly stubborn. I was incredibly persistent. And I simply don't take no for an answer. still something that I embody today in my current life. Um, So after having been a professional bodybuilder for eight years, I got my professional card in 2008, competed in 2016. I'm not sure exactly how many professional shows I competed in, but it wasn't that many, to be honest. Um, Certainly less than 25. And the reason I did that was because I honestly was more concerned with my health um, over the long term. And for many of you that don't know my story, I competed in 2009. I qualified for the Mr. Olympia. I didn't compete because I was honestly arrogant and confident that I would be around for a very long time. And I said, listen, I'm not ready to break the top six yet or top 10. So I want to take another year and keep going. Um, And I did that. Um, The next year I didn't qualify in 2012. I qualified again, I went to Olympia, didn't have my best showing. I did that prep on my own. But point being, year on year, I made a lot of progress. And a lot of the progress was persistence. A lot of it was working through pain. So in 2010, I almost retired. I was in so much pain going into that show, physical pain. Um, and I did really poorly at the show. I was, I thought I was being mistreated by the judges, like so many bodybuilders and fitness athletes do. And it's completely bullshit. When I finally took control of my own life and took responsibility for my own outcome was the time, the moment when I could finally step into being the man that I have grown into. And after taking control in 2010, between 2010, 2011, I added a very large amount of muscle to my frame. Um, Doing the math, uh, 24, 25 pounds of of muscle uh, and my waist got smaller. Um, and that was pretty intense. That was between um, the New York Pro in 2010 and the, the Arnold Classic 2011. Um, I went from 258 on stage in New York and I was, I was shredded, I was in great shape. My waist was big, but I was in great shape. And then 2011, which was um, March, so about 10 months later, I was about 24 pounds heavier on stage, weighing about 281. Um, what did I do differently? Uh, I stopped training like an idiot. I stopped lifting heavy. I Again, I'm not saying lifting heavy isn't like an idiot, but I stopped only worrying about lifting heavy, worrying about competing with other people, and I started learning how to challenge muscles. And in 2010, I was in so much discomfort because I was just told at the time, I was still buying into this, like, hey, you just need to lift heavy. Now, I will say with the asterisk, I've been training, quote-unquote, with intelligence since – in 2007, for sure, I had a mentor, Peter Chaison, who unfortunately, rest in peace, taught me a lot about muscle building. Um, and I'll get into today exactly what he taught me. I'm going to give you guys a framework about what he taught me and ultimately what I've learned since then. So Peter taught me a lot. Peter learned from Tom Purvis. He's been a regular guest on podcast. Um, and both of those two gentlemen have just made such an impact on my life, along with, along with many others. Uh, Peter. Um, Eric Seifert, Craig Roscoff, Jacques Taylor, um, these guys, I've all been guests on the show and all are truly the biggest influence on my life. And certainly the smartest people I've ever come across when it comes to muscle building. Uh, sorry, maybe more accurately, exercise itself. Um, so not that I have to you know, talk about my journey all that much, but I think it's important for you guys to understand that one, it was never easy for me. It never came easily to me to build muscle. I had to struggle for every ounce of muscle I put on. I was obsessed with adding muscle, with eating, with sleeping, with recovering, with training harder. I did everything I could, all good and bad, right? Um, and the reason I retired as really as I did for many of you wondering and nothing to do with my health. My health was actually great. I actually got, I'll do a podcast on this soon. I actually just got a blood test back um, three days ago. That was literally perfect blood markers. The only two that were off, guess what they were? Testosterone, estrogen. My testosterone's high. My estrogen's also actually a little bit high, uh, but not out of the, out of the um, bad, not in a bad way. Just a little bit elevated because I do still take hormone replacement therapy. Um, but coming back to kind of this journey, I think a lot of people when they see a guy on on a you know Mr. Olympia stage, they assume it it came easy for them and. Muscle building in the beginning for me was incredibly hard. And the thing that I learned very early was that my body responded really well to a lot of volume and I needed a lot of volume. And I think a lot of beginners, believe it or not, can benefit from high volume training. I mean, there's there's, there's an asterisk beside that. I'll say this. A hard gainer, quote unquote hard gainer, someone who tends to be very lean, someone who tends to be very skinny, they don't want to do a lot of volume. Um, they want to do a lot of frequency, or someone who's a little bit more of an endomorph like I am, or I was, mesoendo, I would say, um, Can so the more mesomorphic you are, which means muscular tendencies, um, typically the the lower the volume you need and the less frequency you need, you can kind of get away with less. Whereas for me, I could do high frequency and high volume. And if you ask anybody that trained with me, they'll they'll tell you that was the truth. I was someone who did high intensity training, like the hardest training guys in the world. And I did double the volume, maybe sometimes triple. And that's not saying it's right. That's saying it was right for me. And that's because I was so endomorphic. I could eat a lot of calories and I burned them off and I turned into muscle. And it took years to figure that out. And oftentimes when you're told to train hard or train more, you buy into this dialogue that you simply need to work hard and lifting heavier is the goal. And although that is a goal, I want to give you a framework right now. So you understand when that's the goal. So the beginning, no matter where you are in the journey, whether you want to gain five pounds or 50 pounds, or you just want to make the most of every single rep and every single set in the gym, because ultimately you're striving for efficiency. And this is the high achiever out there, right? Someone out there is like, yeah, I'm going to the gym for 30 minutes. How do I make the most of that? I'm going to the gym for 60 minutes. How do I make the most of that? Well, in the beginning, it's simply do, right? There's three phases of, we'll say progression in, um, in training so the first one is you simply do like get off your ass and go right you, you need to be able to get to the gym you need to be able to um, be consistent and that's that's like not that's probably not the audience of this podcast right it's people who you don't train it's very hard for you to get up it's very hard for you to get focused uh simply start by doing and my suggestion there is commit to the minimum that you can and if it's 10 minutes a day you simply go and do 10 minutes a day. And eventually you make it a ha- habit that, oh, I go every day. And eventually 10 turns it to 15 15, 15 turns to 20. And eventually you're doing something that's, that's uh, valuable, right? 10 minutes in the beginning, obviously you're not going to get great results, but you're still inculcating that habit in your life because that habit is ultimately what wins long-term. You know, guys, it's not what you do in the next day, week, month, or even six months. That's going to ultimately change your life. It's what you're willing to commit to over the long haul, willing to commit to for life. What I call... The high impact habits, right? The high impact habits that you implement and instill right now are the ones that are going to last for the rest of your life. What are you willing and able to commit to with 100% success, right? to commit to this, doing this every single day, what are you willing to do? And if you're not willing to do it, then don't do it, right? You could do it for a short period of time, but you're going to realize it's always going to be fleeting so when it comes to the three steps of progression, as far as training, the first is simply to do, as I said, you got to get there The second, which is what most people gloss over. They just tend to go from two, one to three. So the second one is do well. So first you got to do, it's like, I got to learn to dribble the basketball, right? I got to, pra- I got to practice shooting the basketball and then I got to learn how to do this thing well. And then I got to learn how to do it well and hard. Right. And then I get to want to do it well hard. And if you're playing a sport, it's well hard and often fast, but you can't miss over doing it well. I can't go from learning how to shoot a basketball to playing in the NBA. There's a lot of skill in the middle, and people seem to just neglect that when it comes to exercise. If all of us were to commit three to six months, I would say even as little as six weeks every year to the acquisition of skill in exercise. Our ability to maintain muscle and build muscle over time is exponentially higher. So when I when I walk into the gym, and still to this day, you know there may be one percent, maybe one percent of people do, who train well. Probably less. You know that that leaves ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of people who, honestly, it's it's borderline abysmal. And that's not to insult people. Like it's just you just don't know what you're doing, and it's not your fault, right? It's like this is the shit you're taught in high school gym class by someone who clearly isn't in any way qualified to teach you how to exercise, but you say, Hey, do more bench pressing, do more squatting, do more deadlifting. Great. Until your shoulders are sore, your, your lower back sore, your knees are broken. And then you, you know, you get to 35 and you're like, geez, my body's broken. And then everyone comes and looks for me and says, Ben, will you please help me? And all my guys do train without pain. Right. I don't think I have anyone right now who's in, in any amount of discomfort. We have one guy actually who just got some PRP injections in his shoulders and knees, last many years of hockey training, but really there, there's not a lot of Um, there's not a pain associated with training intelligently. It it shouldn't be, right? And this is one of the paradigms that's backwards. People seem to assume that because I train hard, par for the courses, I'm going to be injured. And it's actually the opposite. If you train correctly, you actually should reverse injuries. So a little bit of context for today's podcast, guys, this is the beginning of Muscle Building Month within the Muscle Intelligence community. Within Muscle Intelligence, I want to teach you everything you need to know as far as what happens in the gym this month, to build your body that you need to know to build your body. So it's going to be this list of things that I'll share with you right now. There's nine things that I want to talk to you about over the span of the month and uncover them all today. It's kind of a, a preface, right? Kind of what we'll call advanced organizers to your ability to learn. And I'll explain each of them today so that you guys have a frame as to why to come and join the muscle intelligence community for the rest of the month. So the first and most, well, The the, the prerequisite to building muscle. Now I'll say, is this absolutely necessary? No. But is this absolutely necessary if you want to build muscle without pain? Yes. Right. So imagine driving your Ferrari at 40 miles an hour. You're cool. You're fine. You take it to 200 miles an hour. You better make sure your alignment is in order and, and precise, we'll say. So this is the same with training. If you're, if you're lifting baby weights and you're working at 30% of your capacity, which is what most people do, you're totally cool. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you do, just keep going along with your life. But if you're someone who actually k- gives a shit about getting strong, building muscle, and you need to pay attention to how your body stacks up, what is structural balance? Structural balance ultimately is posture, right? How What is my standing posture? What is my seated posture? Um, what, what happens when I bend over at the hips? All of those things are postural related, structural balance. What happens when I stand on one leg? What happens if I stand on the other leg? Right. And, and how is my body able to resist force in these positions or even not resist force? Just stand. Is it structurally aligned? So we look at vertical alignment, we look at pelvic orientation, we look at foot orientation, we look at rib cage orientation. Now, how do you look at this yourself? Well. Truth is, you know, if your posture is off, right? You know, you know inherently. If you have back pain standing or sitting, your posture's off. If you have shoulder pain, your posture's off. If you have neck pain, your posture's off. Right. If your jaw hurts, your posture's off. If your feet are flat, your posture's off. If one foot is in and one foot is out, your posture's off. If you sit down on the ground, whether seated or laying, and one leg rolls way out and one's pointed straight up, your posture's off. Right. So we're looking for is bilateral disparity. And so means left to right differences. And, um, ultimately is the body stacked in vertical alignment? What does that mean? The pelvis and the rib cage are stacked. They should be think of like a pop can or a soda can or a stand on top of it. It's effectively, I mean, you can't crush. That's what your rib cage and your pelvis are meant to be, except most of us don't do that. And most of us have poor posture, not because of genetics or anything silly like that. It's because we sit too much as a a culture. We sit too much and we're too stressed. And we sit too much in in like a couch where you just like melt it into the shape of a couch. You lose all your ability to use your postural muscles. You stop breathing into the diaphragm. You start breathing into the chest. Your body becomes more stressed. Your brain goes offline and ultimately you kind of lose your ability to, to be successful, right? So I'm super blessed in my life And hopefully many of you guys are too, but I'm super blessed to be able to engage, uh, coach, uh, associate, uh, be acquaintances with, be very good friends with some of the best athletes, some of the best performing humans on the planet that's physical and mental. And what you see with these people is posture is great breathing is great, performance is high because they can control their physiology and their physiology dictates their psychology, right? So their physiology their body is going to influence their psychology, their mind. And so the first step in fixing your physiology, therefore unlocking this great mind that we all aspire to is first fixing your structural balance. So for all of you out there, the reason I've taken up yoga in my retirement for bodybuilding is because I think it's one of the better ways to at least pursue an established path, right? So yoga is established. There's people out there doing it for thousands of years. And really it's gonna be a way to commit myself for 60 minutes or plus a day to do mobility work that's gonna unlock all these really tight joints and teach me to coordinate my breathing with my movements and teach me to be really, really calm of mind in incredibly uncomfortable positions. Yoga is a gift. And I don't think yoga is the only way to achieve structural balance. To be honest, yoga done incorrectly, which I see all the time also, is uh, is going to take away from structural balance. You see a lot of ladies who, who get pancake ass, they get lower back pain because they're doing these yoga moves to reach a certain position rather than looking at what joint is actually getting me there, which is a completely different framing. Again, I don't want to get into the, the nuance of yoga or the nuance of movement yet, But throughout this month, I will. So look forward to this and so much more in the podcast to come. So guys, I'm going to walk through these other nine. I don't want to take too much time on them because I know I want to be respectful of you and I want to provide you with a ton of value. So pay attention. And I would suggest taking out a pen and paper because these nine are ultimately the most important things that everyone must be paying attention to if you want to optimize your ability to build muscle in the gym. Now, next month uh, in April, we're going to go through nutrition. We're going to build out a optimal nutrition plan or optimal how to frame an optimal nutrition plan supplementation when it comes to building muscle or losing fat. Those will be separate, not one and the same. Also, there's some prerequisites. We're going to go into that in April. So if you're not already subscribed to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, do that now. We're going to be providing so much value here on the podcast and head over to Facebook and join the Facebook community. We have so many brilliant people in there. I'm committed to being in there at least a few times a week to do lives, uh, to do answer your questions. And my coaches are going to be in there as well as we uh, ultimately look to just help, right? Most people are just doing it wrong. It's so frustrating sometimes for me to see people who are struggling, right? You're, you're, yeah, a lot of people are struggling. And I want you guys to know muscle building is not hard. It's so, it's not. It's actually quite simple. It may not be easy. Uh, it may take time. It may take commitment. It may take discipline, but it's not hard. You just don't know how to do it yet, right? I often say to people, well, how well do you speak Chinese? And most will say, "Well, I don't. Well, why? Well, because you haven't practiced. And if you practice things, learn how to do it correctly. When you want to learn how to speak Chinese, go to a master. When you want to learn how to muscle build muscle, go to a master. Right? Someone who ultimately gets movement and gets all of the things that go into it. Okay. So, second, and these things you'll you'll find a flow. A lot of them overlap. So the second one I'll say is breathing and walking. You guys always hear me say, breathe, walk, and meditate. And those are all necessary prerequisites to living an optimal life. But in this case, breathing and walking are absolutely prerequisites to building muscle. And that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound silly? Well, we breathe 22,000 times a day. Most people take at least 10,000 steps that you should be if you're not. And if all of those breaths and all of those steps are dysfunctional, then everything you do on top of that, by definition, is also dysfunctional. Here's a little real reality check for you. There's only two functional movements in the body. It's breathing and walking. Those are the two most functional things we do. When we talk about all these functional movements, if, if you're whoever's teaching you functional movement isn't teaching you that breathing and walking are the only two functional things we do, find a new coach. And anyone who's teaching you how to move, how to train, how to transform, if they're not paying attention to how you breathe and how you walk, Uh, I suggest you learn it yourself or tell your coach to learn it and find a new coach. So why is, why is breathing important? Well, think of breathing as happening 22,000 times a day and mechanically what's, what's happening if that's dysfunctional? What if I'm not using my diaphragm? What if I'm breathing more into one side than the other? What if I'm breathing up into my chest? All of those things change my mechanical reality. If I put a back uh, or a load on my back, a bar on my back and I squat down and I'm not using my diaphragm, I'm breathing into one side more than the other, I can start creating these bilateral disparities, which basically means left and right are different. I can start creating rotation in my, in my movements. I can start ultimately creating, you know, life is this dynamic balance of call. I call it rigidity and fluidity, but ultimately it's contraction and relaxation. And so if one side of your body or, or, or any part of your body is what we'll call hypertonic, which means hyper amounts of tone, too much tone. If one part of your body is hypertonic and one is hypotonic, not enough tone, then obviously that throws off your ability to move, right? That really throws off your ability to move. So breathing and walking need to be this foundational piece of everyone's training program. So every one of you guys should be walking every single day and not just walking and meandering around your house. Get your ass outside and walk for 30 minutes every day. I don't care how fast, I don't care how hard, but pay attention to how you walk. Turn your walking into a meditative experience, a meditative opportunity, which effectively means I'm going to pay attention to my breath. I'm going to pay attention to the way my body moves. I'm going to pay attention to the way my feet strike the ground. I'm going to pay t- attention to the way I push off the ground. I'm going to pay attention to my swing and my arms. I'm going to pay attention to the rotation of my spine as I walk. I'm going to pay attention to every little detail. And when you start paying attention, you'll start feeling differences left to right. And maybe you can <clears throat> you can learn to loosen up the, the one side that's tight and maybe create a little more tension in the side that's loose. And try to create this dynamic uh, connection with your body, right? The goal ultimately is to create this dynamic connection. I want to be able to feel my body at all moments, right? That's ultimately what meditation is. It's the ability to connect with your inside, connect with your feelings, connect with your nervous system, connect with your muscular system, and you become the controller. You become the person that's ultimately in control of this rather than being a victim to your physiology, which many people are a victim to their feelings, aren't we? Uh, we can learn to control it. We can be the master of our physiology. And that's, my friends, uh, the key to mastering your psychology. So if your physiology is disrupted, your physiology is dysfunctional, your physiology is overstressed, then you can never expect to have an optimized psychology. It simply can't happen. <clears throat> so because breathing and walking pieces need to be synergistic. So throughout this month, actually, we have a podcast coming out next week with uh, Annette Verpilo on how to walk. And I'll tell you, walking is this um, succession of falling and catching yourself with one foot underneath your center of mass. And I think most people, the first thing everyone does wrong is because they're tight hips, they tend to walk in two lines, right? You're, you're not walking in, imagine like walking down the yellow line in the road, like, like a police line, you're trying to walk down the center of the line. That's kind of how you want to walk all the time. It should be one foot in front of the other, not two feet side by side as you kind of shuffle down the road, like you're on skis. So think about it right? How do you walk? And do your hips move when you walk? Or does your head move when you walk? You ever see people walk like this, their heads bobbing back and forth. If you guys can't see me, I'm I'm kind of swaying my shoulders, my head's back and forth, head back and forth. If your head moves when you walk, your hips are tight and your walking is dysfunctional, you can assume you're going to have hip pain. You can assume you're going to have knee pain. You can assume you're going to have shoulder pain. All these things are very much synonymous. So I don't want to spend too much time on each point, but I want to make sure I make my point and give you guys some value with each point. So number three, is mobility and so mobility the ability to get into position right and that's so nuanced like mobility is walking mobility is breathing mobility is bending over to touch your your toes or tie your shoes mobility is putting your shirt on in the morning mobility is putting the seatbelt on in the car right you don't notice these things until you can't do them anymore And uh, to be honest, what you guys don't acknowledge is as we age, regardless of your age, as we age, these ranges just get a little bit shorter, don't they? They Just get a little bit tighter, just get a little bit harder to access. Ultimately, everyone listening to this podcast has some desire to extend their life. Yes, longevity is a very hot phrase right now. Well, I can tell you with 100% certainty, if you can hold off the call it the closing of the walls around you, which means the tightening of the joints, the shortening of the ranges of motion. If you can hold that off, you will preserve your brain into older age. So the brain has evolved for complex movement. And the less we move or the less complex the movements are, the less stimulation the brain gets. So ultimately, as we age, we want to be one, maintaining those ranges, two, learning new movements and ranges of motion as we age, so that we can ultimately sustain the brain's ability to access those positions, right? The brain is a learning machine. If we stop doing complex movements, the brain stops needing to do them. It's a use it or lose it scenario. You don't do it. Your brain goes, gets tighter. And to be honest, I've been guilty of this in COVID. Uh, Again, I don't share this stuff often, but I'm I'm going to go in the future. COVID has been extremely stressful for me, extremely stressful for me. And I'll share why in the future. Um, and I'm sitting a lot. I'm building a business. I'm growing my business a lot. I'm doing a lot of writing. I'm writing my book. I'm writing a lot of content for my business. I'm writing a lot of content for you guys and uh, writing a lot of workout programs for my clients. I'm sitting a lot more than I ever have in my life. My mobility is not great right now. Like I think generally it's better than most people. I know generally it's better than most people, but compared to my standard of excellence, it's not where I want it to be. And so I've recommitted myself to improving both my mobility, my aesthetic, and my strength, just because like, you know, there's seasons of life right now. My season of life has been building my business and dealing with some personal stress. Um, until I get those things out of the way. I just kind of wanted to put my fitness, not necessarily the back burner, just not as the top priority. And again, that's acceptable. At least for me, you can choose to, to believe what you will. But, you know, sometimes in life, there's going to be things that take precedent and that's how life works. And for me, right in this past season of life, the last call, it the last two years, Um, Since really beginning of COVID, eh, maybe even beginning of 2000, end of 2020, end of 2020, so maybe a year and a bit, my fitness has been third or fourth priority. That's okay. Right. Cause I know how to do it. I know how to reverse it. And again, I'm not bad relative to most people, but like still not toward the level I want to be, but uh, I'll never let my mobility go. So the way I balance my training is I literally, and I advise everyone to to do this at some level is your alternate for me, it's alternating days. Training is Monday, Tuesday is cardio and yoga. Wednesday's training, Thursday's cardio and yoga. And I just alternate that way. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that's right. It just means it's right for me. And everything's a ratio, right? So my training, how often do you want to train? Four days a week isn't enough. Then I remove one yoga and I put in one more training day. Four days of training is too much. Then I pull one away and I put a yoga day and a cardio day. And it's just this, like it's like, imagine volume knobs, right? I'm going to dial one up and dial one back. So as I address mobility, guys, um, my suggestion to you is, Your spine, your hips, and your shoulders every day, every single day, like multiple times a day. And so learn all the motions that you need to improve your spinal mobility, which ultimately, if you is flexion, extension, surrounding, extending, it's rotation and it's side bend. Those are kind of it, right? There's not huge numbers of of, um, ranges of motion. And same with your shoulders, your hips, and even your ankles. And I won't say knees because I don't believe for most people that knees are an issue. Like, knees are a secondary issue, meaning if you fix your hips and your ankles, your knees simply get better. Knees are almost never the problem. Um, Okay, moving along quickly here. Number four stability, the ability to resist force. So, ultimately, if I stand, sit, or uh, position myself in exercise, How well can I not move? And many of you guys, if you've ever taken yoga class or you've ever done one of my workouts, uh, you'll know the ability to not move is uh, sometimes even more difficult than the ability to move. And I think this is ultimately why most people train poorly. I was going to cuss, but I won't. Poorly. um, Because being stable is hard right? And most people don't train for the challenge. Most people simply train to say they train, just like most people read books to say they read books, not to actually grow, to learn or grow from the book. So stability, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the most important factors in your ability to build muscle. If you're not stable, you don't build muscle. So what does it mean to be stable? It means the ability to go into a position and not move. And that means not just standing up. That means not just standing on one leg, that's going to the ends of the range and staying there and not moving. Right? Another reason why I like yoga, because it's built in. It's just what you do. You don't have to be, You don't have to think about it. They just do it for you. So if you're not somebody who doesn't understand this, take a yoga class. Right, Standing in, in warrior two, standing in warrior three, standing in any exercise or, sorry, any yoga position ultimately is, is challenging stability, right? All of the side bends, all of the, the forward folds with the spine extensions, those are all creating stability, right? You're creating mobility, yes call it quote unquote flexibility, but you're also creating stability when they, when, when done correctly, yoga is meant to be a breathing practice more than it is a movement practice. And when you're staying in these positions for extended periods of time, ultimately the stability is built into the process. And I build stability into all of my workouts, whether you're for myself or for my clients, every one of you guys who've taken done on my programs will know stability is built in, in a, from perspective of what I say is challenging time. So, when you're training stability, there's three ways to train stability. First, you challenge time. Then you challenge distance. Then you challenge load or resistance. So, when, how do I challenge time? Well, you guys, if you've ever done a muscle intelligence program, an my 40 program, you know that I'm big on challenging time, which means I slow down, slow down the eccentrics, add in isometric pauses at the ends of the range, slow down concentrics, even some, from time to time, and prove to your mind, prove to your brain that you're strong enough, that you're in control enough to actually control this thing and build muscle so for most of you stability can be can start with something really small stand on one foot right and then deviate your center of mass by bending over or lifting your leg up and stay there and try to do that with, with push-ups do one arm just plank at the top and then do side planks and then you could progress to any type of movements like a, maybe a lunge the bottom of a lunge and stay there the bottom of a squat and stay there think of like how do we challenge stability well ultimately it's narrowing your center of mass or, or sorry narrowing your your yeah, your center of mass your center of gravity um which means like going from wide position to narrow then to one foot narrowing your your center of gravity and then deviating your center of mass which means like bending over moving it away from uh, you know, the, the center of your mass. Think of like the center of the earth, right? You, each every human has like a center of their mass. And if you deviate away from that, you move a piece, a piece of your body away from that, it challenges your ability to be stable. My suggestion, always do this stuff barefoot because when you add shoes in, it's a whole different dimension of challenge. All right, so we got five more. I'm going to breeze these a little more quickly, even though they're important. Number five. So, reviewing number one, structural balance. Number two, breathing and walking. Number three is mobility. Number four is stability. Number five is cardiovascular fitness. Now, technically, this isn't a part of movement, but it is a big part of training. And cardiovascular fitness, in my mind, includes aerobic and anaerobic fitness. And why this is important? Uh, we're basically this is our energy system. This is our ability to produce energy. This is our ability to recover between sets. This is also our ability to actually perform work. So you can't do these things. You must. Right, so one thing I'll bring back to kind of the front of mind: each of these things should be built into your program. If you're not, you're failing. Right? It doesn't have to be in huge amounts, but you should vary it based on how poor you're doing in each one. If you're doing really well at one of them, don't pursue that one more, even though that is our tendency. Pursue the one that maybe you're not so good at. You know, you're only as good as the weakest link is a really important systems analysis approach. So your body is a complex system. So always approach the weakest link. So what am I not good at? So as we're going through this list, pay attention to yourself and say, which one am I not good at? And if there's one you're not good at, you need to address it. And throughout this month, I'm going to give you guys more videos and training. If you head into the Muscle Intelligence Facebook group, you can join that there. I strongly suggest whatever your goal is, go in there, let us know your name, let us know where you're from, let us know your goal, and we could support you. We have a ton of free gifts going out this month. We have a ton of free workouts. We have a ton of free PDFs, just like solving problems. And for some specific challenge you're having in your workout, I promise you, you're not alone there's thousands if not millions of other people that are experiencing the exact same challenges right now your challenges are you not unique that's the irony right i've dealt with this stuff thousands of times and you know i talked to a guy today in in costa rica here and uh, just like acknowledging, man that what you're doing is not hard you simply don't know how yet And if I came to your business and I said, hey, could you teach me how to do what you do? You could do it. You'd be confident in that. And so when you come into my business, I'm very confident in my ability to teach you whatever you need to learn. If I don't have the answers, I have someone in my community that does. So coming back to this this cardiovascular fitness piece, it needs to be a part of your training program. There's been a lot of people throughout times, you don't need cardio to lose fat. You don't necessarily. However, you need cardio to, to thrive, you need cardio to improve aerobic fitness, to be able to recover, to improve HRV. I don't want to get into that yet, but so many va- so much value uh, for someone to not do cardiovascular training or say it's not valuable is a mistake. And, and it's I don't fault people in that case because I realize for them right now, it's not an issue. These guys out there like chirping that they don't need cardio. Yeah, for you, you don't, but I'd say 95% of the world does, but at some point they will, and they're going to go, oh shit, I didn't realize how important it was. Some people naturally have great cardio. Some people train really hard in the gym and that trains their cardio. Most people simply do not. And typically most weight training shouldn't be your aerobic training, right? Weight training should be your anaerobic resistance training. It shouldn't be aerobic. So moving along. Number six is skill acquisition, otherwise known as quality of movement. You guys know I preach this all day long. So the degree of precision in your in your ability to move and contract—that's really what this is about. And this is a degree, right? It's 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 a continuum. It's not just like oh I'm good, because your ability to to execute with precision with ten pounds is not the same as it is with twenty pounds. It's not the same as it is with fifty pounds. So just because you can do something with 50 pounds doesn't mean you can do it with 100. Just because you can do it with 50 doesn't even mean you can do it with 60. So skill is a moving target that we always need to train. Now, skill and stability are inextricably linked. Skill and mobility are also inextricably linked. So you'll often hear me talk about mobility, stability, and skill as the prerequisites for all training. And it's true, right? You have to have all of them. If I want to build my chest, I get this all the time. It's so funny. If you're watching the video, you can see this. So you get guys that come into my gym and go, hey man, how do I build my chest? And they have these big rolled shoulders are rolled forward. They go, I don't know how to build my chest. And they go, what what exercise should I do for chest? And what's my answer? Train your back, right? You need to learn how to relax the the tight chest muscles, allow the muscles of the back to pull your shoulders back. And if you can actually learn to pull your shoulders back and keep them back, the prerequisite mobility to get there, the ability, the stability to keep it there, then you could actually finally build your chest. So, most of those guys, I put them on a two to one back to chest ratio, and their chest grows more than it ever has. One, we we improve the, the execution on what they are doing. Uh, two, we improve their ability to stabilize the positions of weakness. So, the way that I train everyone, if you walk into my gym right now, first, I'm going to watch you walk. I'm gonna probably just observe your breathing. I'm gonna watch your your ability to move. I call it physical rehearsal. And I'm gonna say, okay, well, where's the weakest link in this chain? And we need to address that as fast as we can, as aggressively as we can, addressing the weakest link. And if we can find the weakest link, and how do you know what the weakest link is? Well, where are you unstable? Yeah. So where do you feel discomfort? Where do you feel weak? Where do you tend to move fast? So if you tend to move fast through a range you can assume you're unstable there. Your body will be really controlled and, and, and slow in positions of stability, positions of weakness. Your body goes, I want to get the hell out of here. Right? So this is another, this is another one part of our points. It may even be the next point, which I'll, I'll kind of then breeze into. So the next one is intentionality. And you guys have heard me talk about this before, but intentionality means when I'm going through hell in this case, when I'm going through discomfort, when I'm, or, or let's say maybe more accurately, when I'm going through positions of weakness uh, to not allow myself to cheat, to not allow my body to resort to its natural ingrained inborn tendency to make things easy. So in order for you to make maximum progress, you have to intentionally seek challenge. Unfortunately, guys, that's the truth. You can't do the easy path. You have to train your mind to seek challenge. If you sit back and just do what's easy, You do what's expedient. You do what you're good at. Your progress will always be poor. This is where plateaus exist. I don't think plateaus are a real thing. I think plateaus only exist for people who don't know what they're doing. If you're always just simply moving the needle on the weakest link, if you just do that, your body progresses, right? Obviously we want to train the strengths as well, but maybe we train the weakest links more often. And again, I'll get to this in the the programming part, but how do we kind of, decide how much to do of each exercise. So this is in the ninth one today. So intentionality is really the frame of mind that you hold present in every workout. So what are you thinking about when you're training? Are you thinking about how hard this is? Are you thinking about getting it done? Are you thinking about doing three sets? I just got to I got to get it done. I just got to get it done. Just grind through it. I'm just going to grit my teeth and grind through it. That's fucking stupid. Right? It's like climbing a mountain and going, oh man, I just got to get to the top. No, idiot. The goal isn't to to get to the top. The goal is to enjoy the process, look around you and and embrace every step and and just enjoy it. And when you get there, you float to the top, right? Maybe if you're in a race or something, cool, then the, the goal is to get to the top. But every other day of your life, even if you're in training, the goal isn't to get to the top. The goal is to be better every step along the way. And to be better means a positive state of mind. To be better means an empowered state of mind, meaning I'm not a victim to it. The opposite of victimhood is empowerment. So that means if I'm a victim to it, oh, I have to do this. It's so terrible. I just want to get it done. Oh, this is awful. Which is like so many people train angry, get get motivated. No, guys, learn to love it. Like, fuck, yeah, this is awesome. I crushed it today. I'm so focused. I'm so happy. I feel this so well. I'm enjoying this process. I'm challenging my body. My body shows up for me. Yes, this is what training is about, right? Yeah, I did a really good job today. My muscles really worked hard. They showed up. I got out of bed and these muscles contracted. They didn't do anything. They heal themselves, right? Be grateful for this body they're given. That's really what this is about. This is about learning to love yourself, learning to, to change the victim mind to a mindset of empowerment. Listen, the body is not the goal. The body is a side effect of doing things correctly. If you do things well, you're committed to personal excellence in every single rep and every single set. The body is a byproduct. So stop setting the goal to build the body. Start setting a goal to win today's workout, to be the best you possibly can, to enjoy the process, to love every set, every rep, every movement right? Every little nuance, every little thing, pay closer attention. That's another level of intentionality, isn't it? It's the ability to be present in every rep, right? How many of you train mindlessly, put on some music, put your hat over your eyes and just grit your teeth and get after it? Yeah, you're burning calories, there's no doubt, but you're absolutely not making the most of your workout. You're not. To make the most of your workout, make it a meditative experience, make every inch of every rep more difficult. All of you sitting there at home, try this with me. Extend your arm, fully extend your arm. Could be up to the side, can be up, down, down, the side, it doesn't matter. Now, I want you to contract your bicep as hard as you possibly can, but you don't bend your arm. Your arm stays straight contract your bicep as hard as you possibly can in that position. Squeeze harder. Now you should start to feel your biceps start to contract. And now you're squeezing so hard, your biceps almost, your elbow's starting to bend a little bit, isn't it? Okay. Keep squeezing harder, but don't let the elbow bend. You want to resist that bend. And it's bending just a little bit because you're squeezing so hard. And now you're squeezing so hard, it's actually starting to bend. You kind of can't resist it. Keep squeezing, keep squeezing, keep squeezing. Now I'm almost like my elbow is all the way flexed, my forearm's touching my, my bicep. So it wasn't I'm going to move this weight from point A to point B. It's so I was going to contract this muscle as hard as I possibly can and actually try to make the muscle work as hard as I can at every millimeter of every rep. That's what exercise should be. You do that, it completely changes your life. Now, even just what we did right there, again, I could have drawn that out and make it way more dramatic and way more. uh, You could feel it a lot more, but what I want you guys to acknowledge is if you did that on every rep, You would fatigue really, really fast. Your ability to use weight would drop down short term, but your benefit would be much greater. You would feel it more. You would grow more. And here's the kicker. You're forced to be present. If you train that way, there's no way in hell that you're worrying about what you didn't do yesterday or what you have to do tomorrow or the stress of your partner or the stress of your business or your taxes or whatever this bullshit that's going on in the world right now. Um, None of that can matter. It simply can't. Why? Because you're so focused on the single thing that you're focused on that's being present. And that's meditation. It's a meditative experience. Exercise should be a meditative experience. Every one of you should leave every workout as a better version of yourself because you're able to be more present, not only in your workouts, because then what happens in life? It transfers to everything you do. It transfers to your partner. It transfers to your business. It transfers to your children. It transfers to all those things. Transfers to how you engage with somebody on the road. I could be so much more intentional with how I choose my words, with how I react, with how I eat, with how I feel my body, because I'm present in it, right? Where we get lost in life or where we get down a negative path is when things become mindless, isn't it? When how many of you guys will, uh, shaking your head, say, yeah, like, man, I, I eat mindlessly sometime. I just don't think about it. I just, I just realized, oh, shit, I was eating something. I don't want to do that. The mindlessness kicks up if you don't teach yourself, train yourself every day to be mindful. You can sit down in meditation for 40 to 60 minutes every day and train it too. And you could train in the gym. You're doing it anyways. So why not get the most out of it, right? And again, the best metaphor, and I've used it a thousand times, but don't sit down to read a book to get to the end of the book and tell everyone on Instagram that that you read a book and have no idea what was in the book. Right. This is the reality of our society. Most people read a book to say that they read a book, but they didn't actually get the benefit of the book. Don't rush through the book. Fucking learn from the book. That's the same with exercise. Don't rush through the exercise to get to the end to tell people you trained or to even just to feel better about yourself. Like, yeah, when you're when you're done that book, I feel like some, some superficial sense of accomplishment. When I feel that work, finish that work and I feel some superficial sense of accomplishment. But when you look back on your body, like, you know what? I don't think I'm getting the results for the time that I invested. I don't think my body represents the time that I put in. Never feel that way. Yeah, it's because you're not doing things correctly. You're simply missing the boat. So, guys, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to learn how to make the most of your workouts, Get into the Muscle Intelligence Facebook group. We're going to give you guys the resources. We're going to give you the opportunity to join our community, to learn from us, to learn some exercises, to learn some of this thought process at a much deeper level. We also take on coaching clients all year round, not to pitch you guys, but it's available to you, right? Our coaches are exceptional. Our coaches are world-class and they're going to train you ultimately how to make the most of everything you do. We do weekly training. I teach the training myself uh, and there's tons and tons and tons of video and content there for you. All right, moving along to number eight, exercise selection or exercise combinations is a massive part of your ability to optimize the workout process. So an example being, I'll often train back and triceps together, most often, and because I believe there's a synergy there. What a synergy means is ultimately by training one of them, the other one gets better and to give an example. So if I'm doing a tricep pushdown and you notice your shoulder moving around because as you extend your arm, you're getting this upward, this elevation of the scapula. We want to actually, for the most part, avoid that. We want to learn to stabilize the shoulder. We certainly don't want the shoulder moving extraneously. And so what I like to do is combine back and triceps for that exact reason. And uh, it's, the benefit is tremendous. And a similar, similar thing with chest. So if you think through chest, um, one of the limitations in chest is often, you know, if I put a huge amount of weight in my hand, the top end of my humerus is kind of trying to come out of my shoulder joint. So the bicep tendon does a really good job of holding it down in its socket. So by training the biceps and, and um, chest together, we can actually significantly uh, in my experience, increase the output at the shoulder joint, increase the stability of the shoulder joint. Now some could argue that you need posterior stability of the shoulder joint as well. And you certainly do. You need, I believe you need 360 degrees of shoulder stability to, to train, to train maximally. Uh, but for most people, who have healthy shoulders training the biceps with the shoulders or sorry, biceps with the chest is a really good idea to synergistically improve your output. Uh, Some other examples, maybe I'm training abdominals, maybe I'm training the diaphragm with squats Um, things that I know if I combine these two things, it actually creates a greater synergistic output. So looking at your exercise selection, looking at you, the way you currently move, where your strengths and weaknesses are, Let's say, for example, you're squatting. A lot of people ask this question, Ben, should I combine leg extensions with my squats? And my answer almost always is probably not. Um, some people can. You want If you want to pre-exhaust the quads because you have very, very strong quads, yes. But in most people's cases, doing some other exercise will actually benefit you more. Example most people's lower back gets really tight during squats. So maybe doing something to activate the abdominals or improve to improve hip mobility will actually have a greater beneficial effect with those squats. So I'm always assessing what is the weakest link and how can I synergistically combine something to train the weakest link of this exercise with the exercise I'm trying to do? Um, maybe some other examples. Um, well, yeah, so, so thoracic, uh, flexion, right? So the mid back kind of flexes a lot on squatting and kind of flexes a lot on deadlifting or, or even on rowing for a lot of people. So if you're not aware of that, and you can't intentionally. So the, this is the idea of like isolation versus integration. So I want to remove that with limiting piece from the equation. Let's say I'm removing thoracic flexion, the ability to keep my spine neutral and I train it in isolation and then I get better at doing it in isolation, then I reintegrate it into the more complex exercise. And it's actually more effective. Therefore, the exercise is more effective. So, exercise selection is a really, really big deal um, in how you combine exercises, the order of operations. And again, there's so many different theories on what's effective, but at least there has to be a thought process um, behind what you should be doing for yourself. So, I encourage each and every one of you guys to take on a thought process. And again, I don't necessarily say my thought process is right or someone else is wrong, um, but I'll guarantee that behind everything I put out there, there is a thought process. And uh, it's in my mind, the best one for me or you in that situation, um, because ultimately you could probably argue many different thought processes, right? If you're training for strength, you could argue one. If you're training for hypertrophy, you could argue 10, you know, you could argue all these different approaches uh, as being the best, but as long as there's a logic behind it, then by all means, move forward with it. So moving along to number nine, the final one, which kind of ties in is the next level of exercise combinations, right? It's programming. So think of exercise selection on on a single workout level and think of programming on a, you know, a a week, a month or a year level. And so that's, um, you know, there's a lot of levels to programming. So it starts with in my mind, all programming should begin with what are you currently capable of and what do you need to be capable of to accomplish your goal? So think of it like habit uh, acquisition, right? So if I'm in the need of, or the desire of building you know, big legs, well, I need to be able to do certain things to be able to do that. And so the beginning of programming is not necessarily about ascending strength or, or even hypertrophy. It should be first about Let's build the skill of this thing. Like Kent, and so skill then breaks down to obviously mobility, stability, and then, you know, skill, which is quality. And quality has degrees of all of these things in it, right? It has degrees of intentionality, it has degrees of um, structural balance. So all these things are built into programming. So if you're someone who ultimately looks to, is looking to build the greatest physique you have, you have access to, or you, that you can, you must include all of these things and I'll review them again before we wrap up. Um, so programming is things like training load, training frequency, choosing the correct stimulus for the goal. And, uh, rec- and ultimately this is important too not just the right stimulus for the goal, but the right stimulus for what you're capable of recovering from. Right. So think about that. If, if I subject you to, this is where a lot of coaching breaks down is you have a lot of coaches who are writing nutrition plans, but not workouts, or maybe they're writing workouts, but not nutrition plans. Well, how do you know what that person is able to recover from if you're not kind of managing both ends of it? At least that's my belief, right? So I want a coach, or at least I want to be able to manage both because if I see you, you're recovering, waning a little bit, maybe your HRV is starting to tank, or maybe your sleep starting to tank a little bit, or maybe you're just feeling tired or you're losing motivation or you just don't love it. Well, that to me says there's a deficiency in the recovery capacity, and I need to be aware of that as a coach, certainly as a high-performance coach, and um, give you the tools necessary to improve that. So uh, as we build out programming, just reviewing all the, the aspects of programming, first frequency, right? When frequency is high, we're learning, right? We're learning because learning takes repetition. And when training loads are high, now we're adapting, right? And adaptation requires, uh, you know, we'll call it overreaching, right? There should be a period in your in your training where you're not fully recovered. Like that's the goal. Like The goal is to allow your body to, to push beyond what it's currently able to do. So to do that, you have to tap into places of deeper levels of, of demand on the system. And if I'm constantly letting the system recover fully, and I'm always trained from this fully recovered state, then I may not be pushing the system hard enough, or I may not be able to adapt quick enough. It's my belief that you want to push really hard, push the system to a place of Um, yeah, ultimately uh, overreaching, right? I wouldn't say overtraining, but overreaching. Like this system is definitely overtaxed. It's definitely taxed way more than it's ever been and then pull back, right? So when I was training um, Derek Lunsford in 2018, I think, or maybe it was 19, um, we changed him to a 5-2. So meaning five days in the gym and two days off. And I thought that was just uh, really, really effective for him. Um, because, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he was fresh Thursday, Friday, he was just gassed, but we were pushing the system. So his body was adapting. His body fat was coming off really quickly. And then he had two full days of recovery. In fact, almost three days of recovery, because we would often do the workout really early on Friday. So he had all day, Friday, all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday, um, before we actually got back to the gym again. And so that's a huge amount of recovery, uh, you know, almost 72 hours of recovery. So, you know, obviously pushes calories up a little bit on the weekend, a lot his body to adapt to this intentional um, choice we made in programming. So I'm going to review all nine because I think it's important as we um, wrap up. Um, one, structural balance, align your posture, and that means breathing, that means walking, that means um, your ability to sit right up, upright in, in when you're seated on the floor, right? If you guys think about this, if you want to squat and you can't sit on the floor with your legs out in front of you, that's 90 degrees of hip flexion, the same amount of hip flexion that's necessary in a squat. If you can't do that, don't put a bar on your back. Don't expect to squat to the ground or or to 90 degrees. You can't do it. You physically can't do it. You're going to hurt your back. So that's maybe the first thing I would suggest to coaches or athletes out there. If you want to squat, if you want to lunge, can you sit on the ground with a vertical spine and uh, ultimately stay there for some prolonged amount of time? Which surprisingly, more people than you think can't do that. So moving along, breathing and walking. Breathing is influencing your spinal position. It's influencing your rib cage position. It's influencing your pelvic position. And if you're doing that in a dysfunctional way, um, everything that stacks on top of that also will be dysfunctional. Same with walking. Um, obviously, walking is implicated in your foot mechanics your ankle mechanics, your knee mechanics, your hip mechanics, your spinal mechanics. And if those things are incorrect, then simply everything we do on top of that, sp- certainly with the lower body is, is dysfunctional. And then obviously your foot position really matters when it comes to upper body positioning too. So number three is mobility. Number four is stability. We spend a lot of time on those. Cardiovascular fitness, massive, right? Massive you have to be able to recover. It's basically your cell's ability to produce energy, you know energy per unit time. and we want to we want to gradually increase our energy production per unit time. So how much energy, how many units of ATP can I produce per second per minute? And aerobic fitness and aerobic fitness are a very good indication of that. So definitely 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 build that into your program skill, so we call it quality of movement, um, the degree of precision. And your ability to move and contract. So as I said earlier, this is a graduated thing. It's not going to be the same at 50 pounds as it is at 80 pounds because you have to learn a deeper level of skill, a deeper level of intentionality. Right? I have to be super intentional because my body's low, as soon as I pick up 50 pounds, like yeah, maybe I can do 10 10 set or sorry 10 reps with perfect form. But as soon as I go to 60 or 70, it requires a deeper level of focus, a deeper level of mental awareness. So every one of my clients, some people try to what I call sand it, right? They try to go super light and like, oh, my form is really great. Yeah, great. Well add some weight on there now because it requires a deeper level of focus from you. Right. It's not just a deeper level of work. Certainly that as well. But this is why most people, in my opinion, as I said earlier, um don't train this way. Right. Most people don't train with intelligence. They don't train effectively, maximally effectively, because it's hard both physically and mentally, right? And most people don't have the attention span to be able to do this. And this is why you're literally training your attention span. Everyone out there, if, if your objective is to be a more effective human, you should be training your attention span. You should be training your focus. You're already doing these workouts. Why not get the most out of them, both physically and mentally? It just makes so little sense to me why people continue. Again, it doesn't make, it's not that it doesn't make sense. Most people do most things in their life mindlessly. So for my audience out there, I know you guys are not like that your intention is to train mindfully. I know that because you want to make the most of your time, right? If you're someone who wants to make the most of the 45 minutes or 60 minutes or 30 minutes you're putting into the gym, and we'll do it and do it well and that means being super present, turning off you know the distractions, putting the phone away and, and getting into what you're doing it, it becomes this deep level of connectiveness to the muscles to the, to what you're feeling, to your desire to quit to your desire to cheat to your desire to shorten the workout or, or give up early right and this is ultimately your greatest training ground for life. Your workouts are. So, number seven intentionality, right? This is the mental framing. I can climb the same mountain twice, or I can climb two different mountains and hold two different mental framings. One is, gosh, I'm so blessed to be able to do this. I'm enjoying every step of the way, and I'm getting stronger. I'm getting better, and I'm challenging myself, and my body shows up for me. And I'm so grateful that I'm here, and I get to use my legs, and I get to breathe, and I get to enjoy the sun and this beautiful, majestic view. You know, and the verse is like, "Oh God, I gotta get to the top." It's so, it's so shitty. I can't wait to get to the top and get down and eat a chocolate cake, right? And nothing wrong with chocolate cake, and nothing wrong with getting to the top. But the mental framing completely changes the end result. And people who hold that positive mental framing will have a much better long term cross benefit because the, the mindset you you create with you in those moments of challenge is the, is the mindset you're going to take with you to other moments of challenge in your life. And so you certainly don't want to be someone who's constantly bickering and constantly sad and constantly downing yourself because literally the habits will be formed in those moments of challenge. Think about that. What mindset do you take with you? Are you a victim or are you empowered? it's one or the other, right? Um, So then that's the level of intentionality. Number eight, exercise programming, or sorry, exercise selection and combinations. And number nine is programming. Guys, thank you so much for being here. This is Muscle Building Month with the Muscle Intelligence Community. And head over to Facebook and check us out in Facebook. We'll link to this in the show notes. If you don't know how to find it, just look up Muscle Intelligence in Facebook. We are a group and there's an entry. Uh, it's obviously free, but we'll ask, I'll ask you a couple of questions just so we make sure we maintain a high level of standard. The people we allow in there, ultimately, we're supporting each other. And If you're not supporting people, if you're spamming people, if you're putting people down, I don't even ask twice and I just kick everyone out. Um, I, I want only great people in there who are lifting each other up and uh, i encourage each and every one of you to lift each other up let's make this world a better place let's all be our best self and to me that means stepping into the challenges of every day and certainly curating challenges every day in this world that's made to be easy for us right world is made the world is made to be convenient it's made to be easy it's made to be for expedience and everything everyone wants everything now you know, instant gratification culture, and we need to avoid that. We to say, I'm willing to step into the long-term uh, fitness. I'm willing to step into the long-term growth of my character, of my person. That's really what sets people apart. People are willing to take the long haul or set the long goals. One of the things I've been doing is thinking about twenty, a 25-year plan. And when you have a 25-year plan, it really changes the time horizons on your objectives. So uh, I encourage each and every one of you guys to... Uh, Look at your 25-year plan. What is your 25-year plan? And well, who do you want to be in 25 years? What habits, what skills, what ter- characteristics do you have in 25 years? Does that person have? And um, you know, ultimately, so what outcomes do you want to achieve and what habits do you have in the process? So ladies and gents, welcome to Muscle Building Month with Muscle Intelligence. I'm going to have so much more coming at you this month. Each and every one of these will have additional videos and content as the month progresses as well. as So much more we're going to talk about. Uh, recoverability, we're going to talk about heart rate variability, we're going to talk about so many amazing things, and I have my favorite muscle building guests ever coming back on the podcast, some new, some old. Uh, but really the best people in the world when it comes to understanding muscle building, what goes into it. So join me in the Muscle Intelligence Facebook. If you have any questions for me or for any of my guests, go ahead and ask them in there. We will post a list of all the guests coming on the podcast. So you can choose to ask specific questions to specific guests, but you can't do it unless you're a member of the Facebook group. I know not everyone's on Facebook and I apologize for that. If you want to send us a personal email at ben at muscleintelligence.com, you can do that and uh, we can ask, answer your questions there. Also, um, we are Doing so much in the months to come to support you in building your greatest body and ultimately living your greatest life. So hop into Facebook, and I will see you on the other side. Today's podcast is brought to you by Organifi. Organifi Gold has become one of my favorite nighttime rituals. Organifi Gold Milk Formula, enriched with reishi and turkey tail mushrooms, it's actually an amazing alternative to melatonin. So it doesn't leave you groggy in the morning. Melatonin is one of these things that has huge benefits, but also seemingly big detriments as well. We don't want to be taking melatonin regularly. So one thing I do take regularly is my Organified Gold. It's formulated with warming anti-inflammatory spices that just absolutely taste phenomenal. Um, so Organifi Gold also comes in chocolate flavor. And I use this probably know, three to four days a week when I'm feeling like I really want to have a great sleep and really gives me a good bump in my heart rate variability, which to me says I'm recovering more effectively. Um, So I love my, it's also a nice little treat, to be honest, if you're someone who craves something that tastes good before bed, and it's so, so delicious. So thank you to our show sponsor for today, Organifi, head over to Organifi.com slash muscle. To get hooked up with 20% off. So for someone who is training hard, someone who ultimately wants to improve their sleep and doesn't know what to do for sleep and recovery, even if you are sleeping well and you want to increase your body's ability to recover, so the depth of sleep, Organifi Gold is a really good option. So you can shop this product and all of their products uh, at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash muscle. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the show. I know that you have a lot of options. You have a lot of options to choose from, and I know you choose this one because we do our best to bring you the best guests on the planet. And if you haven't listened to the last, geez, like 20 or so guests, I mean, I looked back the other day and looked at our our um, list of guests, and it's just so phenomenal. Like I feel so blessed to be able to talk with these people and interview these people and Uh, gosh, I just feel so blessed. So thank you very much to you for being here. Thank you very much to our amazing guests. Thank you very much to my team for always making this podcast possible. Um, I feel super blessed to live the life I do. And, And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and do that now. You can do that on Spotify. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can do that on Amazon. You can do that on YouTube all of those. So you never miss another minute. We continue to aspire to get better and better and better. I aspire to get better in my ability to articulate myself for you. I aspire to get better in my ability to clarify the message. uh, And all of the guests certainly are doing their best as well. So ladies and gents, thank you very much for joining me today. Ben Pakolski on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Have a great day and let's live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love.